Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, sponsored by the IBCA. We are a global podcast that shares the passion for the coaching profession. You will hear the stories of coaches from all around the world. We are covering the profession in-game, outside of the game, and anything in between. As always, thank you for listening. We look forward to sharing the coaches' stories with you. All right, we are back with another episode of the After the Timeout podcast. Today, we are very fortunate to have athletic director, we haven't gotten to say that yet, but athletic director, Patrick Woods of Bolingbrook High School. Coach, how are you today? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here and uh, looking forward to talk about hoops and uh, athletic directing. So we like to start with all of our guests with what we call the opening tip, and it's just your opportunity to kind of Take us through uh, your journey briefly, you know, both on and off the court in education, um, kind of just tell the listeners a little bit about where you've been. And then um, now that you're the athletic director of, of Bolingbrook, you know, we kind of have guests from all around the country, all around the world. So maybe a little bit about Bro- uh, Bolingbrook High School as well. For sure. So, well, when you get as old as I am, your journey is quite long. So I will shorten the journey a little bit uh, as far as my career. Um I started teaching at Winfield Elementary and Middle School and uh, coached every sport there. I think I did for like a year or two and then got into basketball. Um, When I did my student teaching, I coached under Mark Lindo at Naperville North, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, And he's really the one that got me going into basketball because when I graduated college, I did not think at that point I was going to coach basketball the rest of my life. Um, but then uh, got an opportunity at West Chicago High School to coach the girls freshman team uh, at West Chicago and then did one more year with the varsity um, as a basketball coach and I was a PE teacher as well. So uh, that's kind of my educational route. From there, um, my second year at West Chicago, we were able to one of the only high school teams to beat Candace Parker twice in the same year. Uh, unfortunately, lost to her the third time in the sectional finals. Um, but then I had an opportunity to become a head boys coach at Ridgewood High School, and I feel like that's where my career really took off. Uh, Ridgewood High School is a small school on the northwest side of the city. They call it the island in the city because it's surrounded by Chicago on all four sides. It's a school of about a 1,000. Um, so I went there to teach PE and health and uh, really helped start their boys basketball program. I think it was pretty close to winless when I got there. I think I was the third or fourth candidate for the job because the other people turned it down. Um, And at the young age that I was, I felt it was a great opportunity. Um, So I stayed there for 10 years, Um, probably halfway through my career there. I um, was able to become the athletic director there. Our athletic director was, was retiring and uh, they asked me if I would step up and get my master's in educational leadership, which I did, and then went on to become the AD there for five years. Um, in my last year at Ridgewood, I told you it was quite long, so I hope you're still with me. In my in my last year at Ridgewood, I stepped away from basketball and, and hired Chris Miraz as the head coach, who is still currently coaching at Ridgewood. Uh, and I did that because I had an opportunity to coach at Triton Junior College with Steve Christensen, Um, where we were able to go to the uh, final four in the country with that team. Uh, I felt it was a great opportunity. I had the the college bug to go coach um, at a higher level, and uh, that definitely gave me a little taste of it. 
while I was coaching at Triton, I got a knock on the door from St. Charles East. Um, they had removed their basketball coach and athletic director and a guy by the name of Jim Block, who was the former uh, AD at Nutrier, was doing an interim stint at St. Charles to kind of clean things up a bit. And he asked me to come over and coach boys basketball at St. Charles. I really wasn't interested because I was in a great spot at Ridgewood. We just spent millions of dollars on a new facility. I don't know if you've been there at all, but uh, we built the whole gym, redid the football field, the baseball field, the softball field. So um, athletically speaking, you know, it was a top-notch facility. Um, but there was some that drew me to St. Charles East where I spent uh, 12 years coaching and coached uh, quite a few great players, many who went on to uh, play either professional or collegiately and uh, had a number of great teams, made it to the sectional finals a couple times. And uh, last year, including we went to the sectional finals and lost to Rockford Auburn, who has a great squad, and I would look out for them this year. But, uh, you know, that's the cliff note version of the job. And then in July, um, I got an opportunity to uh, be an athletic director at Bolingbrook High School, in my opinion, one of the, uh, you know, it's, it's a, first of all, it's a huge high school. It's double the size of St. Charles, it's 3,500. Um, also one of the most diverse high schools in the state, which was really intriguing to me and um, felt there was an opportunity where I could grow professionally, uh, and, and personally, and and I took the leap of faith, and here we are, four months in, and uh, first time in twenty eight years, I'm not coaching basketball. So that's that's the abbreviated version. How, how'd that feel when basketball season came along? Was that a little bit weird for you, or you know how many people called me and asked me that and texted me like, "Are you okay? Are you doing all right?" Um, you know, it it hasn't really affected me yet. I think I'm too busy to think about yeah. it. Plus, yeah. the nice thing is, is I can go walk down into the gym and, yeah. you know, in right. a matter of seconds, I'm in a basketball practice. And then, you know, one of the factors in my decision was my son. He is a freshman at Lyons Township High School. And uh, fortunately for me, he's a hooper and uh, I haven't missed a game yet. And if I was coaching that's basketball, awesome. that, yeah. that would not have happened. So yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So, uh John was kind of, we were talking and when he was talking to you, like kind of before the show, he mentioned your quote, change is growth. And you just mentioned your different stops and, and moving to different places and looking for different challenges, whether it be college or athletic director, um, you know, kind of, how did you know in those spots or what did you feel, you know, cause this is always the question, right? People always say the grass isn't greener on the other side sometimes. Right. But Sometimes you just kind of know. So how did you know when it was time to make a career change or, or change locations or, or places? You know, I think I think a lot of people know, and I think some people are afraid to. Um, I think there's the word comfortable that everyone gets. Like I was very comfortable at St. Charles East. Um, you know, we had a great system in. I had a great relationship with the parents there. Um, I had great assistant coaches, you know, we had a good connections with our feeder programs. So, you know, we had things kind of running very smooth, but no, I think sometimes you get comfortable and, and, and comfortable. I think sometimes you even get lazy. Um, so I, uh, I think I was looking for another, another change, um, to push me and, and help me grow career wise. Um, and I felt like it was the time given the, 
time on my son, some things that were going on in the school. And, and I probably didn't mention I was a dean of students at St. Charles East um, for a good five to seven years. And, you know, when you're dean, you deal with a lot of negative stuff. But your career where either you don't like or you're not happy with and you know um and and you feel like you need to change to grow because I felt like you know at that point I was getting in a little bit of a rut um in in part of my career so I just wanted to take a step kind of like a regeneration rebirth you know uh breath of fresh air and, and a change and a challenge and and that's I don't know if there's an answer for you know uh, a cookie cutter answer for it but I think you know, and it's just a question of, are you, are you not scared to take that change, especially at this point in my career? I mean, I, I had tenure, you know, I gave all that up, but I never kind of really thought about tenure or anything along those lines. I always felt like if I did a good job, I'll be fine. Well, you know, and as you know, like as you get older too, you get more complicating factors, right? Your family, your lots of lots of different things, so. I think it's unique for every 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 person, but it's always interesting to hear like what somebody else's factors were, you know, and how they kind of right. thought about it. You know, it always helps someone right. else process, process that decision making, too. I guess when you put it like that, the factors for me were like going back to athletic director was such a positive environment every day. Like I'm dealing with sports every day, athletics and in some fashion or another, whereas being a dean of students was like, kind of weighing on me. The other factor was my son, you know, like if I was still head coach at St. Charles East, I would not have seen him play four games already, you know, so that's a factor too. And then just the excitement, the opportunity of something new and and to be able to, you know, help that program grow and flourish in ways maybe it hasn't before. Um, those were probably the factors that went into it for me. I, I do have, now that we're kind of expanded on this topic a little bit, I actually do have an interesting follow-up. You know, I've always heard um, Theo Epstein from the Cubs and the Red Sox and all them. He always said, you know, 10 years in an organization, sometimes an organization needs a new voice. And I always thought, I always thought that was kind of interesting. And I, and I do kind of, uh, just in listening to your journey in Ridgewood and, and Bolingbrook and helping athletic departments grow, and I'm sure at St. Charles East helping the dean's office grow, you know, do you think it's good not only for that individual, but maybe for the 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 role, the leadership role, whether it's a head coach, dean, athletic director? Do you think it's good for the rest of that program department to maybe have a new leader every eight, 10, 12 years to get fresh new ideas and help it grow? I do. I, I really do. I think that's a great question. And I, I know there's books written about it too. Like, um, but I definitely think change in your career or in your life um, is a good thing. And it does, you know, get you out of your comfort zone, so to speak. And, you know, the people that I left, they had to figure things out and do things a different way. And, you know, um, I always think of that, the poem, the, you know, where you put your hand in the bucket and you swish it around all you want. And, and, but once you take it out, the water goes back the same way it was. So like, yeah, I'm gone and there's someone different, but they're not missing me. They're just going on in a different direction, you know? Um, so I, th I think that's good for probably everyone sometimes. Um, so let's, let's kind of talk about, you know, you kind of talked about in your journey, you know, coaching middle school and high school and college and AAU and boys and girls. And, but I, I kind of wanted to talk to, you know, when you were a head coach, kind of connecting all of that, you know, when you're a high school head coach, especially 
um, in specific communities, you know, you're kind of working with middle school coaches and you're connecting with AAU coaches and you're connecting to help your kids get into college programs and colleges. So you're talking to college coaches, um, you know, kind of take us through the, the ways that you kind of connected all that. Cause I'll speak for myself as head coach. Sometimes that's a lot of work. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. It is a lot of work. First of all, I will say all coaches are underpaid and underappreciated um, wherever you are at. Um, I don't think the common folk know the time and effort and energy coaches put into the game. Like I can tell you this, I've slept better since I'm not coaching because I would stay up till one, two in the morning knowing I had to get up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning to watch film, you know, and basketball is different than a lot of sports as far as, like, film. Like, football, you have one team you're watching all week. Basketball, you could have three or four games in a week, and you're trying to stay on top of film, and, you know, you don't have the resources at the high school level, that college, you don't have 20 managers clipping film for you. It's you and your assistants, if you're lucky. Sometimes you have assistants that won't do the work, but fortunately for me, I did have them throughout my career, but – you know, it's it's a life, basically. The old hashtag ball is life, I think about. Um, so I got involved in AAU when I was a young head coach because I felt like it was a critical part. And this is 20 years ago. Like, this is it's a critical part of the journey now. Like, you have two coaches, I think, out there. Those that get entrenched, maybe three. Those who are heavily involved in AAU. Those who want nothing to do with AAU and those who know that AAU is a, a factor in the game now. Um, and I think I've always been in the middle or on top of that. And what I mean is when I was young, I was heavily entrenched in AAU. Uh, I worked for Full Package. Um, I worked for Illinois Old School with Andy Borman, um, who is now the assistant coach at Memphis. Um, I bought the uh, Illinois Old School from him and ran that with a guy by the name of Scott Lidskin, who was out of Glenbrook North, who was John Shire's trainer. Um, and, and I did that for a good 10 years, man. You think about it, you're in the high school season from November to March. My AAU season started sometimes overlapped with the high school season, went from March to May. June was high school again. July was AAU again. August was my month off. September, you were training with your high school team again. And you know, what do most coaches get for, for that stipend, like seven to $10,000 for, for coaching. So, you know, it's, it's an important piece AAU and, and I've coached many a great players, um, you know, that are still playing professionally overseas or you're in the G league or, or things like that through AAU made a lot of great relationships. Um, but it's a lot of work, but it was kind of like my life. And that's, I think it's a critical piece, you know, and now you're seeing it. I think it's more critical. Um, the AAU coaches become a bigger factor in recruiting as time has progressed, you know, but as my, um, as my uh, career has, has progressed, I've kind of stepped back from the AAU world a bit, still have great connections with many of the company owners, try to help kids find places to play. Cause I think it's critical. Um, but uh, it's it's a necessary beast, and the game and the landscape has changed so much in twenty years. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, like that's not kind of the reason. Like you just said, I kind of was like I was a baseball guy growing up and played college baseball. That's the reason I I kind of moved out of baseball because you know basketball is the longest season, right? And then 
you move right into baseball and then, you know, summer hits and you're in summer basketball, your summer league, your camp, you're all this and all that. And it kind of just, you know, I, I think that's the hard thing about basketball. It's such a long season. You got a couple breaks in there. You got, you know, um, and, and if you're doing it right, you have to, you have to do it all year round to get your, to get your kids, kids better. Right. Right. There's no doubt about that. So we're going to go, we haven't broached this topic in a while. We're probably going to make some people mad, make some really people really happy because it's a controversial topic, especially in the state of Illinois. Um, we're talking about shot clock. All shot right? clock, baby. Shot clock. Me and John, we're all for it. I, I, I've always said I look at it at the defensive end. I go to college now. There's so much more you can do defensively with the shot clock to to kind of finagle your defense, right, and 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 mess up the offense. But kind of give us your 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 thoughts on the shot clock and 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 why and and you know and the reasoning behind your thoughts. I have many thoughts on the shot clock, and I'm a huge fan of the shot clock. And some people know that I was one of the for coaches that presented to the IHSA, I think it's two years ago now, nothing has happened. Um, as far as Mike Ellis, Ty Slaughter, and Matt Monroe from St. Ignatius, Whitney Young, and Evanston, uh, the four of us presented to the IHSA proposing the shot clock. It's a, it's a necessity, in my opinion, in high school basketball. And you have your naysayers and they just have to unfortunately get with the times. I'm sorry. We are the only country in the world that is not using a shot clock in basketball at the high school level. And, you know, that's the direction of the game. And some people are deeply rooted in history. And I'm sorry it's not, you know, 1940 anymore. And we're not, not making 20 passes. You know, I always say what's what's harder to score the ball or pass the ball. It's harder to score the ball. So, like, you know, we could pass the ball for two, three minutes. And I've been against that team that does that. And I changed my defenses intentionally do that. We would run and jump and trap all over and speed the game up because I wasn't going to play defense in a half court and watch someone turn the ball 20 times to get a layup. And some people might say, oh, that's discipline and that's teamwork. I say it's trash, man. Like, I'm just a huge fan of, like, having the ability to score the ball in, the, in a short period of time of whether it's 35 seconds or 24 seconds, it takes more skill to do that. And it's a proven fact. Um, there's so many benefits to the shot clock. It's desperately needed. Um, I don't, I don't find it fun seeing contrasting styles play. Everyone talks about that. Like you have a team that'll hold the ball for two minutes, another team that wants to fast break. I want to see points scored. You know, I want to see plays made. You know, you have that buzzer factor every possession. If, you know, getting down to the buzzer where you try to have a buzzer beater against the shot clock if necessary. So uh, it's a necessary evil. It's unfortunate that the state of Illinois has dragged its feet for so long in this topic. I think currently there's 18 other states, 17 or 18 other states with the shot clock. I mean, North Dakota has a shot clock. How can Illinois which is one of the meccas of basketball, cannot have a shot clock. Indiana has it. I think Wisconsin might have repealed it for a year, but I think it's back. Iowa has it. Like, everyone around us has it. And, and you know, it's going to it's gonna help the game. It's not going to hurt the game. And those people that are holding it back, you know, shame on you. So um, I think an issue, though, is cost factor, and I get that. Um you know, and we had a plan, you know, for public schools, for example. I know Ty Slaughter had some NBA guys lined up to help with the cost of the shot clock, uh, the actual initial purchase of that. 
Uh, that was part of our plan. Um, so there's ways to do it. I find it interesting that so many football schools have play play clocks, but and you have the some schools that have the water polo shot clock, but like to get a shot clock in basketball, apparently it's a big deal. I know at St. Charles East, we've been using it for now. This will be year number two or three at the tournament. Hinsdale Central's using it. York uses it at their tournament. Like, you know, what are we waiting for? Is that enough or should I keep going? <laughs> well, I, I think a good I think a good follow-up is because all three of us are on the exact same page. But you know, part of me always wonders like. Is it just, and it's funny, we talk, we're talking about this in a career change, but is it just some people are just afraid of change? Like, are these the same people that didn't want the three-point line? Are these, this, like, I love the new foul rule. I don't know how you feel about it, coach. I like it. I, I feel like the resetting at each quarter, the, the games are shorter. The flow is better. Like, I would have been in two games where we would have been in double bonus for, like, the entire second quarter. So I, I love, I feel like the referees are more willing to call stuff because they know the game's not going to be forever. I, I So do you think some of it is just people are afraid of change? I do think some of it is afraid of change. Um, I feel some of them think, think it'll pollute the game and, you know, make it sloppy. Like everyone, it's going to be sloppy and it's going to be fast. Well, have you watched college basketball lately? It's fast. I mean, like, the speed of our athletes in the last heck, I think compared to when I played like many moons ago to now, like the things that high school kids can do now, like I'll use my son as an example. Like he had nine, three pointers in his first two games. I don't think I had nine, three pointers in my first eight games. Like it's just like kids are able to do so much more and so much better now. Like, um, you know, it, the game has changed and and people need to change with it. Uh, Cause I think you're, Kids are missing out on opportunities. My seniors last year loved playing with the shot clock. We played 10 games last year with the shot clock, you know, and there's no reason they shouldn't have played their whole season with that. So I'm glad we were able to give them the experience of playing with it. But it's unfortunate that everyone's not having that same experience and that we're not all playing by the same rules. You know, you talked about uniformity from grade school through high school uh, into college, and the game is different, and, and we need to kind of, like, make it a little more uniform by that. I mean, we got the halves in college, you know, rather than the quarters. I think that's something different. You know, the shot clock length is different, which I'm okay with different lengths of shot clock, but you know, the arc, the cir circle, I think needs to come under the basket as well for charges. Um, let's get it a little more uniform through all levels. I think that would be, that's what other countries do. Um, other than distances and times, they play with the same rules. We don't. I'll get on my soapbox too, because uh, you know, obviously, I coach women's college, and the rules are different than men's college. Right, like that's crazy to me too. Like we, you go do the women's game, and then you watch the men's game, and you almost have to like you adjust your mind. You're like, oh wait a minute, it's halves, and right, you know, it's like it, it it's kind of crazy to me how we can never all just be uniform, like you said, like like Europe, right? That that should be the model, right? Those right. teams, there's. I don't know the percentage of overseas athletes in the in college, right? Even and and NBA and WNBA and all that is grown exponentially in a, just a short period of time. And those athletes come in super skilled and super super talented and, and fundamental. Like I, I don't know why we can't 
kind of merge everything and and stop thinking we can't we're you know we're the best you know we obviously have a lot of good athletes and this and that but i i think we could do a lot better with some of those things like shot clocks and unifying rules and and, and all that yeah i'm an, i'm 100 on board with that and again i get the cost the cost is probably the only legitimate argument but you find ways to do things you know what i mean and and i it's better for the game and people like I'll give you, we played Proviso East last year who had a really good team and we were trailing eight to 10 and fourth quarter, mid fourth quarter. And in past coach Boyce would spread out the floor and we would end up falling in the last four minutes would become a free throw session, but we had the shot clock. We were able to get a stop and another stop and we got it down to a two point game. And I'm telling you that doesn't happen without the shot clock. We ended up losing, unfortunately, but you know, the shot clock was, it actually helped us in that situation. And that's what people don't realize. It's going to change the end of games because you got to dig in, you got to get stops. And if you do, you get the ball back. You can't just burn out the clock. You know, I walked out of the state championship game last year, you know, um, and, you know, the kid from Harding is right. Brock Harding was in his name. The kid from uh, Moline, Moline, incredible mm -hmm. guard great coach the Moline guy like I'm not complaining about his coaching and I'm not complaining about the players but it turned into a free throw contest and it was a really good game up until mid third quarter once they got an eight to ten point lead they spread out the floor and it became a free throw contest and a number of people walked out of that game it would have been so much better had there been a shot clock all right so uh we call this halftime adjustments I kind of want to go go two parts here kind of one overall athletic program picture and then uh maybe a more specific not specific but question about based on what's kind of been in the news in high school basketball <laughs> lately i'm sure you can know where i'm going with that um so being at jad and i talk about this all the time such it's such a large school even 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 a smaller school um you know and you, you coaching or you know your athletic director experience um incorporating and kind of you know finding kids that may get lost in in the cracks at, at a big school to to help your programs not just basketball but it could be football it could be baseball it could be um you know whatever swimming whatever it may be um you know and, and kind of encourage your coaches to do and as a coach doing that work to kind of to find those kids so as a athletic director at a school like yours, how do you kind of help your coaches, you know, maybe if their program's down a little bit or, or they, they need to kind of rebuild, find those, find those kids and get kids from maybe other sports or in that Bolingbrook community involved. So it's a great question. And, you know, something that I'm definitely like, it's the hardest thing when you go to a new school where I'm at right now, it's just like, first I have to get like, you want to do so many things, but I have to give myself time and grace to like get those things done. Um, but the most important piece is connecting kids. Cause like we know the research shows the more kids are connected to their school, the better success rate they're going to have. And I think that's critical. And, you know, yeah, we'll have some kids in some sports that we've all coached that have been really able to excel and go to the next level and maybe even play professional, but that's a, that's a one to 3% chance that's happening. We got to get those other kids the experience of working with the team, working together, the dis discipline, the commitment, all those other things that really factor into the experience of being in a sport. And, 
you know, we want to try to increase everyone's chance of playing. And, you know, we have no cut sports, whether it be, you know, cross country or track or, or things like that. Um, football's a no cut sport. You know, we've, we added girls flag football now is becoming an IHSA sport, which, which was a big deal at our school this year. So like, there's so many different ways we can connect the kid. It's a matter of like reaching out, you know, as a program um, and as individual coaches together to really try to, you know, get kids connected and coaches can work for each other. You know, for example, like I saw a wrestling coach talking to basketball kids who got cut from basketball. So, Hey, you didn't make the basketball team. Come on and join wrestling. Another no cut sport where, you know, if there's not a sport that doesn't teach toughness and we have girls wrestling now too. So I think the opportunities have increased so much in the last 20 years for kids, whether it be lacrosse or ultimate Frisbee. I mean, there's so many different ways kids can get connected and it's critical that, you know, whatever high school you're at or school staff, like you have to help get those kids connected to the right programs. Um, and it doesn't have to be with the mindset of, you know, playing professional sports. It just has to be for the experience. And I feel like my role is to kind of oversee that experience and make sure it's a positive one. Um, so you mentioned the connectedness and that's a critical piece and that's any sport, any kid. Um, you know, we have a slogan at Bolingbrook, you matter is, is the slogan for the year and just trying to get kids to understand that they matter and, and we want them to have a positive experience. And, they also have to see the value in it. Like there's value in it. And some people don't understand the value with, with it or are in it. And, uh, you know, it just goes a long way in life when you have that experience and it teaches a lot of life lessons that no classroom will ever teach. And that's probably why I love athletics so much. Well, I mean, I love your last point. John and I talk about this all the time at, at different schools and you look at it and maybe their program's struggling. And and I think to myself, I, I, I use my Downer South experience, right? Very similar to Bolingbrook, right? Same size, pretty close, right? Close to each other. Um, like, you know, there was there was kids that were given a, a, a chance that maybe somebody would look at him like, oh, that's a lot of work that, you know, we're given a chance that, turned into really good athletes, students, and, and people because a coach was willing to not just say, oh, you know, I got to do, I got to do some work with, with that kid or help them to, you know, you know, be on, be on a team. And I kind of, I kind of always look at that at different places. Like that's kind of the role of as a coach and a teacher, right. To, to, to use athletics. Like you said, there's so many lessons they can learn that that might be their hook, right. To kind of, getting getting their getting on the academic path or or just kind of figuring out when they have when they have a tough situation yeah for sure and you know you bring up a great point i think there's so many unsung heroes in our profession and what i mean by that is you know i think people look at the the robert smiths of the world the coach simian the great great kids great players we have a lot of coaches that coach very average kids or below average kids, but yet do such a great job and you never hear about them because they're never in a state finals game. But like the work that I've seen some coaches do that never get any credit is like unbelievable. And the experience they provided that certain kid who is never going to go out and play college, you know, sports has impacted that kid's life, you know, and, and 
those are the things that you never hear about, unfortunately, in our job. All right, so I'm going to go to the second part. Um, you know, we've been in the news that the you know at Hinsdale South and all that, but I'm just going to go general. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you for specifics, but just just in your experiences, um, you know, trying to to handle whether it be disagreements, um, you know, issues, things like that, to where, well, let's be honest, it, it doesn't get to that point, right? It doesn't. It doesn't get in in a sticky situation, and now as an AD, you kind of have a different different lens on that, right? So as a coach, and now as an AD, kind of how are you looking to, I guess, help help your coaches, uh, give them advice, put policies in place in order to, I guess, conflict resolution, right? Trying to figure out the best solution, and not everybody's going to agree, right? And it's never going to happen, but to have everybody on the understanding of Hey, these are expectations. This is what's going on, and, and kind of avoid situations like that, so it can be good for everybody, and and have have at least an understanding. So I'm going to answer this question two ways: one from a coach's view, one from the administrator view. First thing I will say is coaches need to have a process in place. I love sports like swimming and track and and cross country because it's easy to decide who is playing on your team because you're going to take the fastest kids right and you have a, a golf score like yeah you shot 72 for the first five days of practice you shot 90 i'm keeping the kid who shot the 72 very clear cut when you get into team sports like basketball it's difficult to value kids the same way like with baskets made or, or things like that so you have to have a good process in place and especially with your older kids, because you've had them a little bit, you got to put them in positions in the summer and the off season. And even during the season, you know, like if you play a JV game as a junior and you can't score a basket in five JV games, yet you're going to expect to be a starter on the varsity next year. Like what is going to happen? So I don't want to say you have to put kids in a position to fail. You just have to you have to have that dialogue with them so they understand exactly where, where they're at. And I think communication is a huge piece when it goes to like your older kids. And I think your younger kids, like freshmen, you have to have a good system in place. I think like rubrics are important uh, if you use the right way and expectations. So kids know what's expected um, of them and, and having those expectations outlined, I think, you know, in all my years coaching in the 22 years as a head coach, I could think of maybe, three times where I've been questioned on not keeping a kid. And and I think in all three of those, I was able to easily answer, you know, the questions because I, I had the, the data and I knew what I was looking for uh, as far as keeping a kid. And I think more and more nowadays, as you saw in the news, like that question is going to be asked more and more. Um, and I would say 99.5% of all coaches are going to keep the best kids. Um you know, it's a very unusual situation where they don't, and I can't speak to what happened, you know, at Hinsdale South, but doesn't sound like, you know, sound like an unusual situation there. From an administrator point of view, like we do have to have those processes and I need to help put those processes in place and we do need to communicate. And, you know, we need to, it's a delicate thing and it's, you know, it's a life-changing thing. Like, you know, having as I have had a kid who was like are they going to make the team are they not going to make the team like you know that's a that's a 
difficult situation for a kid and a parent to go through. So you want to make that experience as open as possible and, and, you know, as clear cut as possible. So you can answer the questions if you need to answer the tough questions, but, you know, hopefully it goes in an appropriate professional way and, and you have a good system in place. And I think communication is the key for all of that and having your head coaches on board, um, as far as what the process is and, and communicating that process to everyone. So as, as we get into the second half of the show, we really want to focus on the athletic director piece. We've had school presidents, we've had various head coaches, we've had school principals, uh, but we really haven't focused too much on the athletic director piece of this. Um, you know, I know you had talked about your experience at Ridgewood where you were an athletic director with 900 to 1,000 kids, but you know, now you're at one of the, the probably 15, 20 biggest high schools in the state, which is, I'm sure, as I'm sure you're going to talk about, a completely different animal in some ways in comparison to Ridgewood. You know, um, so kind of just take us maybe through um, maybe those first couple of weeks as an AD in such a large school, maybe some challenges you faced, maybe some things you enjoyed. And then the, the question I always have for every administrator is, do you just miss the, the daily interactions with the kids and developing those relationships? A lot of questions to unpack there. So here we go. Let's go with the size of school. So Bolingbrook is like right around 35, 3,700 kids. Uh, it definitely is one of the top 15. I think it may be top 10 schools in the state as far as size. Um, the facility is unreal. Like one of the attractions, you know, besides the people at Bolingbrook was the facility. It's we have great facilities. Um you know, the weight room is like a division one weight room. Um, you know, the, we have a beautiful football stadium. We have a lot of grass spaces for our lower levels, uh, both baseball and softball fields are turf. So like the facilities are second to none. Um, but it goes with the size of the school. We need space because we have so many kids, um, participating in sports and so many sports we're offering. That's probably the second difference. Like the number of programs that are offered, um, are pretty pretty uh, big compared to where I was at before at Ridgewood. So um, we have 30 something sports where at Ridgewood, I think we had 17 sports. So it's almost double the size. So those are definitely different pieces uh, to the puzzle. Um, but it's been overwhelming a little bit at first because I try to be a very organized person and, you know, anyone who is an athletic director knows schedules are critical and, you know, I walked into a situation where schedules weren't completed. Uh, fortunately, uh, the fall was pretty completed. So um, we were able to manage that uh, well and just, you know, had to change a couple of things. But like I have two assistant athletic directors that are great and they've helped me. We've just completed winter schedules now and then we're working on spring start next week. So scheduling, like I don't think people realize the coordination it takes to get all these schedules for all these different programs. Every game is scheduled. You actually have a physical contract. So I have like these binders in my office of all these games and contracts, you know, and athletic directors know this. And once you have a system down, it's great. But I think because it wasn't done, like normally I would be working on next year right now. I'm still working on like making sure this week's going to go smoothly and the buses are set up and officials are set up. And there's a lot of things now compared to 20 years ago that are better. For example, Arbiter, when I was at AD 20 years ago, like 
it wasn't 20 years ago, first of all, it was like 15 years ago. Um, you had to call officials every day to make sure they were going to be there. Now it's all online. You can see your whole season. Um, so things have gotten easier in that sense. But um, so the challenge has just been organization. And, and you mentioned the connection with the kids. Like I do miss that, but I make it a point to go out in the hall um, every period to try to interact with kids. Um, I walk through practices. I've met with all the teams so far. I met with them individually. So like just to talk about my expectations, they see me at a lot of games. So there's kids that have started to see like, Hey, this guy's going to be here for us. And, you know, I've started developing relationships in that sense with them. So I'm getting relationships. It's just in a different fashion. One thing I'm really excited about starting is, uh, student athlete leadership training program. So we've identified kids in all our programs, like three or four. And we're going to meet monthly or biweekly and start talking about leadership and different ways that they can lead both their program and our school. So that's going to be something really cool that I'm going to be overseeing uh, and doing that. So I'll have the connections. It will just be in different ways. Um, just like I've had the, uh, Connections with the coaches, you know, um, just talking with them and, and having coaches stop in my office all the time and talk about the future and, and the planning and, and all that is like fun and exciting stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it grows. But do I miss the basketball court? Not yet. Not yet. It might be too early for that. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy with with where I'm at and, and kind of the connections that I'm forming in just a different sense. I've used the uh, the the phrase coach the coaches. So I'm trying to help, you know, and don't get me wrong. We have some coaches that are like phenomenal and like just, you know, need to bounce ideas off me. And we have a lot of things that are going well and in a great direction. So it's it's been great in that sense. So Did I answer all those questions. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Uh, you know, in your ideal world, your ultimate dream, right? Um Obviously, there's always things that can be better, always always things that, that can improve wherever wherever you're at. What does the ultimate high school athletic program look like? I think it's kind of an easy question. It's, it's one that, you know, you have success on multiple fronts. You have kids who are first and foremost, and I always say this, like they're students first, kids who are achieving academically. That's got to be priority number one. I don't care what anyone says, like you're a student first. We talk about that all the time. Second, to have a positive experience um, in their years uh, as at sports. Um, so that means they have fun and they have success. I think that's, you know, kind of like a two-headed monster. And, and the last one is just like building that community of support um, for each other's programs and each other's teams, you know, like, we had football team at the volleyball game. We had volleyball at soccer, like building that support for the athletes. I think those are three critical things um, that I would hope for all our kids. Granted, there's more to that list, but if I had to simplify it, you know, it's athletes that are doing well in school. They're having a positive experience and they're seeing success and seeing success on the field uh, as well. And that last one's probably the hardest one because you're not always going to have success. You could do all the right things um, and still not have success in terms of wins and losses. But I think you have to kind of identify what your metric for success is. 
you know, I've coached some teams that have struggled. So we had to identify things that are different other than winning and losing. That's going to determine success. You know, um, what are your measurables? And that's kind of what you got to look at. But I hope down the road that it would be winning and losing on the field. Cause if you're doing things the right way and, and, and you have kids that are devoted and committed to their craft then you're going to see success on the field. So I, I, I actually find this, this might be really um, informative from a head coach who's now an athletic director. Um, and, and as you said, you've had some, some coaches at Bolingbrook that have been there a long time and had a lot of success um, on in boys sports and girls sports all over the place. But, you know, as you sit in, in an interview, you know, let's say you need a head uh, softball coach or a head uh, basketball coach or a head tennis coach, you know, what are you looking for as the athletic director in traits of that person? What are those traits that you're like, okay, I think this is the person that I want to lead this program. Um, or on the flip side, let's be honest, what are maybe some things you're like, I don't know if I necessarily want that trait, or maybe this trait doesn't fit with what we're looking for. Well, there's a, there's a lot of things you look for. And it's a question you're not always going to find all of those traits in one person, but can you find many of them? And I think a couple key ones are like their ability to communicate. Um, you know, they have to be able to communicate both with you, the staff, um, the players, the parents, you know, they got to be able to communicate with a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. So I think that's, that's kind of a critical piece. Um, their ability to work with others, you know, kind of lose the ego. I think that's kind of a big thing. When you look at your, your best coaches, majority of them don't have big egos, you know, they're just about doing their job the best they can. And, um, you know, being in it for the right reasons other than themselves and the right reasons are the kids and, and the experience. You know, some people I've learned over the course of my experience are in it for themselves. And, and those are not the people that you really want, you know, around coaching kids because they're not doing it for the kids. They're doing it for themselves. Um, so, you know, and it's gotta be someone that can connect with kids. Like, you have to be adaptable and be able to change because I can tell you that if I coached the same way I did 20 years ago, I would not have a job because things are so much different now. You know, I remember being coached a different way. You know, I remember my coach would pull out the garbage cans in the middle of the court. And when you're running say, if you got to throw up doing the can and then get back on the line, like, God, if you did that nowadays, you'd have channel two, five, seven news at, at your practice. You would be fired. People would be suing you. It's just, you have to know and understand how to evolve and change and adapt to, you know, kids and kids are constantly changing and kids are the same anywhere. I don't care if you're at, you know, Ridgewood or Bolingbrook or St. Charles, kids are kids. They just have different experiences and that's the only thing that makes them different. But, you know, deep rooted kids are, they're all using their phones a lot. They're all on social media, you know, you got to be adaptable as far as a coach. And I think the other thing that's different nowadays too, is like the respect factor. Like you have to earn a kid's respect. But I think when I was brought up, like you gave an adult respect, it's not the same anymore. And, you know, I don't know that I agree or disagree with that, but like, you know, kids have to learn that they can trust you and that you're in it for the right reasons. And I think 
if you have that ability to connect with kids, it goes a long way in coaching and coaching a program. And, and those are, you know, the factors that I look for. So let's, let's talk about like, uh, you know, in, in a high school setting, I mean, it's really any setting, but the, the alignment between all the pieces, right. You have, you have school board, you have at principals, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, time as a dean, right? Coaches, trainers, athletes, and then and all the families, right? In in that community. So what is that kind of like the ideal alignment of, of that look like? And how, I guess, I guess in your, your experience, what, what are the situations that have been really good for that and what it looks like? And then some things that kind of hurt that, that alignment, which ultimately ends up kind of, hurting hurting the whole the whole program that's a tough question because there are so many different pieces i think the one thing i've always learned is that you're never going to make everyone happy all the time and i think if you rest in the fact that you're doing things the right way and 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 you know doing your best and making decisions that have kids in mind that i think you'll be fine for the most part um but school boards like Fortunately, like Bolingbrook is incredibly supportive in that, but I've seen other schools where they're not supportive or they're trying to control too much and like school boards play a factor into it. Um, you know, administration, you know, uh, having a supportive principal and and superintendent is really important and in, in doing things the way you want and, and to allow you to get resources of things you need, like it's not an easy dynamic in today's world to manage um, and to have everyone on the same page. But I think you'll see your better schools um, success wise. Usually everyone is more on the same page than those that are not. So um, I don't think there's an easy answer to that question, but the more people are on the same page and, and rowing the boat in the same direction, the more success you're going to have. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I looked at in changing positions. Like I felt like Bonebrook's school board was very supportive. Um, I felt like the administration in place was very supportive. Um, I felt like the students, you know, um, were really engaged and, and active in the school and, and, you know, want nothing but the best as far as sports and activities. Um, so I felt it was a, the right step for me, but you know, there are other schools that I probably would never take a job at if it offered because I don't think it was a good fit or they don't have the right resources or the right support. So there's a lot of things that need to line up. And I think you got to work to line things up too. like, you know, you might have to change some things or um, get people to see things a different way. But that's probably one of the, the hardest parts of the job, I would say. So you kind of led me in perfectly right there in the last part of your question to the my follow-up. I guess we'll go back to the coaching lens of, you know, you mentioned all those factors and how they can have an impact on success. So when you're looking at, as, as a head coach, say you're, you know, X job comes open, you're like, hey, I, I think that's something something I'm interested in. Um, how do you go about kind of maybe asking questions or or, or finding out whether that support is there. Cause I, I think that's a huge factor in whether 
your program will be successful, you know, as a, as a head coach. Right. And I think, you know, going to interview, everybody's painting the rosy picture, but there's always stuff in, in the background, like you said, with all those different pieces that work. So how do you go about kind of finding out those things to see if that's, that's a right fit and it's somewhere where, you, you know, you can kind of do or be successful, not wins and losses, but just as, as your program and building the right. Well, I'm going to answer two ways. Um, again, one from a coaching perspective, like you have to look, you got to do your research and you got to talk to people like, you know, and, and that's something I have an advantage of is being around for so long and knowing a lot of people, you can find a lot of different things out. Um, by that, I mean, like what happened to the, as a coach, what happened to the coach before you, why did they leave? You know, I think those are, are things. What's the administration like? Like having people that know someone in the school, like to talk to people who are already in the school. If you're as a coach looking to get in somewhere, like if you know someone that's in the school, you can get a good pulse on what's going on there. Got to be careful though who you ask because some people might not have good things to say. So you got to make sure your source is one that is not tainted or biased or something like that. They'll give you an honest picture of what's happening in school. Um, so I think you got, you got to look at the history, the strength of the program, the lower levels, the feeder. I think those are all things you look at as a coach going into a program. Uh, and then as an administrator, I think what I looked at when I was going to Bolingbrook, like, but I think this is something to look at as a coach, like, what's the process like? Like I was, I was blown away by the interview process at Bolingbrook. I interviewed with probably over 60 people, you know, three three long interviews, three panels, at least 10 people on a panel. Like it was a lot of people that were involved. So I could tell the care and the, you know, and, and the commitment that was there and to making sure, you know, they got someone that they liked and that they worked with and, and all the head coaches, not all, I would say 75% or more of the head coaches were involved in that interview process as well. So um, it was good for me to see that, there's a lot of people that care to take time over their summer to come in and interview um, and ha have an idea of who's coming in that they're going to work with. So I think there's a lot of different factors, but the more research you can do on your own and the more you can find out kind of, you know, factors into it as far as knowing if that place is good for you or not. You also got to look at like, are there budget cuts? What's the strength of their, their budget, you know, are they riffing people? Have they riffed people in the past? Like, you know, as a coach, you don't want to go somewhere where you're the last guy in the totem pole and they're having budget cuts and then you're out of job. I've seen that happen. You know, it happens and you don't want to put yourself in that spot. So as we get into our last two segments, the first one we call 30 second timeout. Um, it's your chance to talk about whatever topic you want. Um, it could be about you, your family, um, Bolingbrook Athletics, uh, something completely outside of it that you want our listeners to know about. Uh, you could turn the tables and ask Todd and I a question. Um, this is kind of your your opportunity to run the show. Well, this was an easy one for me, and you guys might or might not know. And if you don't know, you're going to learn. You can see, you guys can see. I don't know if your audience can see. I have a 
Hardy Strong shirt on. Uh, Justin Hardy was a player of mine who played for me at St. Charles East, who went on to Wash U, a Division Three All-American, and unfortunately at the age of 21 was diagnosed with um, stage four stomach cancer uh, and has since passed away. I am a board member on the Hardy Strong Foundation. Um, and, you know, the cause of the foundation is basically to create awareness for gastric diffuse cancer, um, which is a rare stomach cancer, um, to help provide resources for those who might need them in this situation, um, and to help with genetic testing. So those are kind of like the three pronged tier. And uh, if you want, Google Justin Hardy uh, shot. He is hit. He was a phenomenal player for me. He hit a shot, like three quarter court shot that. Uh, um, won the game for us against St. Charles North two years in a row. Uh, he was all area. He he was a great player and he was a great student and a great kid. And, and I'm a part of that foundation and it's something that's really close to me. Um, so I just want to create awareness and, and you need to Google it because it's a great story about a great kid and a great family. So that's my 30 seconds. For those of you that don't know, listeners, there actually was a coach, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there was even an ESPN piece done. Um, correct. Yeah, they the ESPN did a piece. Um, they talked about him in the NBA Finals last year or two years ago. Um, you know, he was really close with, got close with John Shire at Duke. In fact, Michigan State and Duke almost wore Hardy Strong shirts at the at the United Center a couple of weeks ago. It didn't happen for whatever reason, but like, you know, he's definitely impacted the basketball world and, uh, you know, Wash U community and the St. Charles community and many people beyond. Like the the reach has grown. This past year, we did an event which is coming up against the next year called the Amazing Race. Raised uh, over a hundred thousand dollars for stomach cancer. Um, so that's what the foundation does, and that's something we'll keep working at. And coach, one Go more ahead. one more joke with you about this. I just uh, looked up the shot. You got some airtime uh, when that ball went in. Coach. Yeah, uh, man, that was a crazy. I don't know which one you're looking at because he had multiple ones. But so we were down one with three seconds left, and I put Justin on the ball and said like, hey, follow it. Like, you'll never know what'll happen. And sure enough, man, he like was up on the ball, long pass, Cody Mitchell, who is now playing at Roosevelt University in his post-grad year, deflected it. Might've fouled the guy, might not have. And then Justin fouled the ball, picked it up and chucked it in from like half court. It yeah, like, got over a million views. Yeah, it was, that was insane. And you can see the crowd. I mean, there was like, 2000 people there it was a cross they, they all rushed the court at the same time yep and you know if you notice you keep watching justin like runs away from him because he sees him coming and he goes around the bleachers and comes out the other side so everyone's following him and he's like standing in the middle it's it's the funniest <laughs> that's thing awesome. that's awesome before we get to quick hitters I, you know whenever there's a story like that i always think like yeah we coach and we want wins and losses but you know, it's just a game in the, in the grand scheme of things. So all the things you're talking about, the connectedness, the relationships, like, you know, it, it's just, it's just a game. And we, we, as coaches, we all have to kind of keep that in the back of our mind. Like you get caught up in it and, you know, but there's, there's so many other factors, whether, you know, their family and things like that. So. I think just to add on that, you're a hundred percent right. And 
the ESPN segment that was done is mind over matter. Um, and Justin's approach is something that every athlete should see, like just, you know, it, how to deal with adverse situations and how you write your story from the beginning till the end, you know, and uh, regardless of the circumstances, that's kind of things he always said. So um, I think that you're right in the relationships that his teammates had and like that all came full circle when he was going through his tough time and it brought a lot of people together. So. All right. Let's get to our last segment here is quick hitters. Um, kind of random questions. Could be basketball. Could be not. Um, a lot of times we get off on a tangent here. So, um, first one, your greatest mentor or mentor. Well, I, was, I was thinking about that question. I have a few, I don't think I have one, but, uh, I think my first one is the current coach at Morton High School, and that's Tony Martinucci. Um, he's been coaching at Morton High School forever. He was my grade school coach, believe it or not, but um, he is someone that kind of got me into basketball and really pushed me in that direction and challenged me and uh, someone I still talk to. In fact, I talked to him this past week um, regularly. And then another one is kind of a weird one is, is would have been my former high school coach, um, but he ended up taking a job at Evansville University, and that's Will Ray um, was the head coach at Fenwick. Yep. And I, he recruited me to go to Fenwick, and then he left. So ironically, the last time I was AD at Ridgewood was my first year, and I was just calling random people to put a tournament together. And I called Northridge Prep, and I saw the name, but it didn't register, Will Ray. And, and Will Ray is like, is this Pat Woods who went to like Hiawatha? And I'm like, God, how does he remember that? I'm like, yeah. And I realized I'm like, Oh my God, it's Will Ray. And then we talked and, and he's a guy that I always reach out to and, and bounce things off and have been connected with over the last 20 years uh, in my career that, you know, so I have a number of different people like that, that are in my life. And before I made that move to Bolingbrook, I called a number of people and talked to a number of people. And those were people that I included on that, that list. And in fact, I talked to Will Ray this past week too. So, you know, it's good to have a lot of different mentors in a lot of different areas, some educationally, some sports and some personally. And I think, you know, having more than one is a great thing. We have, we have had Will Ray on as a guest. It's a brilliant, a great man, but brilliant basketball mind. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right. So favorite, we're going to ask you a couple of favorite stories here. What What's a favorite Christmas tournament story as a coach? I have two great ones. The first one, one of my former assistants who was a player for me at the time, we were at Proviso West tournament. We're ranked fourth in the state. You know, we're playing, uh, I think we were playing Von Steuben. He's a senior. He comes out in these raggedy ass shoes. Like they look terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you wearing? You're not getting in the game, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's a team I had Kendall Stevens, Cole Gentry. Like I had, you know, numerous college players, AJ Washington, Damaducci. Um, so fast forward, he's my assistant. And I'm like, so he didn't play in that game. And I went off on him and blah, blah, blah. Fast forward, he's my assistant like 10 years later. And I'm like, hey, I got to ask you, like, how did you forget your shoes? And he goes, coach, I didn't forget my shoes. He goes, those raggedy shoes were Cole Gentry's. I gave Cole Gentry my shoes because he forgot his. And I knew we needed him on the court. Whoops. And I'm like, 
oh man, I felt so bad about that. Like, but it's just a great, that's a great teammate right there. Someone who like took me getting on him and, and, you know, didn't complain, cry, go home to mom and dad and say anything. Like he gave his shoes to the kid we, he knew we needed, you know what I mean? And Cole's the current assistant at Colorado state now, I think. Um, yeah. But like, he was a phenomenal player and we needed him. And then, yeah, so that that's one of my best Christmas tournament stories. All right, so you mentioned, we're going to tweak this one a little bit. You mentioned your AAU days. Um, I think anybody's coach AAU always has, has good stories. So what, what's one of your favorite, <laughs> it could be a game, it could be an experience, right? Because you coach AAU for long enough, you know, you get good experience. What's your favorite AAU story? What a good experience. Man. I, that is, I think just the traveling with the guys is such comedy at sometimes because some of these kids have never left their hometown and they've never seen a restaurant other than McDonald's or Burger King or, I mean, there's so many I'm trying to think of which, you know, how about the kid who is, we're going for a week to Florida and he only brings like three changes of clothes. Like, like, are you kidding me or not? Like, I mean, just things like that or. Yeah um it's just funny or they don't know how to get from point a to point b when they're not in their hometown like how to figure out where to go or how to read a schedule like there's so many different like life lessons that are taught on those travel (laughs) trips that some kids and that might be all the traveling that kid has done in his whole life so it's it's awesome in that sense um unfortunately uh in my younger days i was probably hard on refs and i remember you know, getting to the point where I was going to pull a team off a court and and I'm glad I didn't, but like you have some bad officiating when you're not the hometown team, it feels like it. And then you're going against someone who is the hometown team or the team that's running the tournament. So I remember having a couple of crazy situations like that with referees, but that was my young and immature days. I've changed my mindset totally when it comes to referees um, or showing up at tournaments and then there's no tournament. Have you ever had that happen before? Like, <laughs> yeah, the game's canceled. Somebody forfeited. You're like, Oh, it took all your money and the tournament was canceled. And they didn't tell anybody. That's crazy. Those are a few of the wacky ones though. All right. So maybe your weirdest or most unique gift you've ever received at the holidays. Ooh. Oh, well, you always get the paperweight. I feel like I, I, <laughs> when I was a younger coach, I, I got this bizarre paperweight. Um, it was solid glass and, and there was like a key inside and I had no idea what it meant. It was like this, it was a paperweight though. It was like, you know, I think the card said something like, here's to hold things down. Here's the key to holding things down for you. But like when I got it, it was like, it's a glass ball with a key inside of it it was the weirdest thing ever but um yeah i've gotten like cookies that have been stale like um like literally the package like they're wrapped just wrapped cookies from like jewel or something and they you just want to give you a little treat and then i look at the date and it's like from a week ago (laughs) so those are always fun you've been the last one i was say is the gift card that's used i got the gift card that was used um, (laughs) for christmas I never said anything, but yeah, those are a few. I love those. Like, especially if you're in education, you know exactly what coach is talking about. Like you've been, thanks for all your support, everything you do. Here's 
this thing. You're like, when am I ever yep. going the, to the read gifter? Yeah, when am I ever going to use this paper? The gift, the gift card to uh, a coffee place for two dollars on yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Um. So, post votes education. You're you're done. You're 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 gonna go hang out. What is your, what is your goal post education career? You know, I don't know. If you ask me right now, I would probably say I might get back into coaching at the college level. Um, and the reason I say that is I've had opportunities in my career to go coach at college, but the pay cut would be so drastic that there's no way I could ever afford to do it. Yep. Um, and I had two different Division One schools that I'm thinking about that I was offered to go to and like literally the pay was under $30,000. And I was like, man, my wife would leave me in a heartbeat if I took that pay cut. Like, you know, like it's just, you can't even live on that, let alone have a family on that. So um, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, something that I think about all the time is just going to help out at a college level. And then, you know, the other thing I don't know, like who knows, maybe I'll find something else in this or um, maybe I'll just travel the world. You know, who knows? I'm hoping to follow my son's career. I'm hoping he sticks with the game. And, uh, you know, he grew up in a gym with me since he could walk. And uh, it's shown a little bit in his play. Um, unfortunately, he's looking me eye to eye now at 6'3". So uh, I'm hoping he's got some more growth in him as a freshman only. So, uh, you know, regardless of how long he plays, I'm just glad he's gotten a lot out of the game that he's been around his whole life as well. All right, last one. You're you're younger. It could be a teenager. It could be a little guy. Who was your favorite coach or athlete? Well, I have to tell you that I grew up in the Jordan era, and I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. He was uh, – it's kind of an interesting turn of events. I have two pictures um, that I refer to often. One, I was in eighth grade or freshman year, and there's me at COD, Jordan put on this McDonald's clinic and, and there's me and a crowd of people and Jordan signing my autograph. And then you fast forward to uh, my junior year in college, I a commercial with Michael Jordan and lose my college eligibility. And I took that opportunity because he was my hero my whole life. So I actually did a McDonald's commercial with Jordan um, which was one of the coolest things I did. So then the next picture I have is Jordan with his arm around me at the commercial shoot. And, uh, you know, he was, he was the guy for basketball and he kind of, you know, did a lot to inspire me to play and, and work. And, and that, that's probably my guy coach. I don't know, man. I was a big Bobby Knight fan, believe it or not. I thought his stories were great. And I could see myself playing for a guy like that. I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, being soft or getting my feelings hurt when he MF'd me or something like I was used to that. So uh, coaching wise, I'd probably say it was Bobby Knight, but definitely would have to change my style, as, you know, as the years go on from that. Well, coach, we can't thank you enough for, for giving us a different perspective. We haven't had, you know, any athletic directors on and, and got that, that experience as well as your awesome coaching experience so uh, i just think it's it's cool that we always have the opportunity to to talk to so many people in different different fields and, and learn and, and get that perspective too because i think 
I think that's important just as coaches to have the perspective from, from everyone, right. To, to also keep that in mind. So we can't thank you enough for joining us this morning and, um, you know, bowling books, bowling books in good hands. Um, and, and we can't wait to see how the winter seasons go. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on here. It's great to meet you and look forward to uh, seeing you more in the future and talking more in the future. So really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the IBCA. Please be sure to rate us on whatever platform you are listening and give us a five-star rating. For more show content and updates, please follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout. As always, thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.